Amen. Please have a seat and turn with me in your Bibles to the book of 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 5. Um, again, if you're visiting with us, it is, um, it's our regular pra- practice to work through books of the Bible um, for a number of reasons. Uh, one is that this is how God has given us His Word, um, is in books with themes and stories and um, things that we might not pick up or we might tend to miss over. It, it tends to uh, let God set the agenda as much as possible. Uh, another reason is, as God is setting the agenda, it, it kind of makes us talk about things that we might want to skip over or, or not give attention to, things that are important, um, but we might not give attention to it. Um, and so we've been working our way through First Peter, and we find ourselves here in First Peter chapter 5, verse 1. I'm going to read verses 1 through 5. This is God's Word. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, Not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble." Let me pray and ask our great prophet to bless his word preached today. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, it's your voice that we want to hear because it is the voice that calms our anxieties and strengthens our weak knees. It is the voice that breaks into the darkness and brings hope where we are hopeless and destitute. It is the voice of light that brings um, redemption into the darkness. It is the voice that called the dead out of their tombs, the voice that stopped the mouths of the demons and cast them into the darkness. It is the voice that brought order and beauty out of the darkness and chaos. And so this is our cry. By your word, through the power of your spirit, speak to us today. For we pray this in your name. Amen. You know, I think uh, we have this, uh, we, I, I think we all experience this tension that exists in our lives. And the, and the tension um, probably has been accentuated more and more as technology has given us more options. And the tension's this, that we want freedom and yet we become paralyzed by too many choices. Because our, our, our conception of freedom probably often goes like this. We think freedom is the ability to do whatever we want, whenever we want to do it, unconstrained by external forces. And therefore, the more choices we have, logically, the more free we'll be. And yet, most of us, if not all of us, get paralyzed by options. The anxiety meter cranks up to an unmanageable level because we are afraid that if we make the wrong decision, that we won't have access. It will get in the way 
of us enjoying true flourishing. And that is quite a lot of weight to put on our own shoulders. And that's the rub. We don't want to be restricted. We want to do what we want to do when we want to do it. And yet, when given that option, most of us just lock down. We become afraid of doing anything at all. Because options paralyze us because the responsibility of being our own master, our own leader, and charting our own course is too much for any of us to bear because God has built us to be led. Even in our original state when we were in the garden before sin had broken in and corrupted our own hearts and corrupted the world around us, even in that state of perfection, we were made to be led by another, to live off of the Word of God and live in His creation, with God as our Maker and our Lord. Our king, we were made to live under the kingly authority and leadership of another. And so the free person, the most free person, is the one who submits himself to the leadership of God. And see, Peter is writing, you will remember, to a suffering community. A community, a church and that had been dispersed throughout Asia Minor and was continuing to see pressure from the broader culture to conform to it and abandon some of their beliefs and lifestyles that were required by following Jesus. They were a suffering community, and and that's been clear from the outset. God's people live in a world that is not their home, and as a result, Jesus promised his church, you're going to feel the pressure because you are not of this world and this world hated me and they're going to hate you too. And so you see in verse 1 of chapter 5 this first word. So, I exhort the elders among you to live as a fellow elder. Sometimes it's translated, the Greek is translated as therefore. It's a conjunction. And, and Peter, just a few verses earlier, had taken a broader focus Um, of the suffering and the pressure to conform that the church faces. And he's brought it into laser focus like a magnifying glass with the sun. He's brought the suffering experience of the church into laser focus in verse 12 of chapter 4, if you have your Bibles. Beloved, don't be surprised. And I said that week, Beloved is a transition word for Peter. There are a few times that he employs it, and it's sort of his chapter markers. Beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. There's the template. You're going to suffer in this world because you are united to a suffering Savior, But he's gone beyond suffering into glory. So rejoice that you also may be glad when his glory is revealed. And then in verse 19, Therefore let those who suffer according to the will of God entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. So, verse 1 of chapter 5, there's our conjunction. If you are going to entrust 
your souls to a faithful creator while doing good in the midst of suffering. Here's what Peter is saying. God has given you a gift, suffering church, for this journey. So you don't do it on your own. So I've given you leaders, elders, who will shepherd you during your exile. And if the suffering church is going to thrive, we have to have a posture towards the men the Lord Jesus has entrusted to our care that looks like verse 5. This is a symbiotic relationship that the people of God in entrusting their souls to the God who provides for the journey of exile must, verse 5, likewise, those who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another, for God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. God has not intended for any of us to make this journey, the suffering journey of life, following behind a suffering Savior on our own. And the first thing, and I think if, you're gonna, if we're going to learn the value of the elders that God has given for this suffering journey, we've got to see how essential the church is to the plans of God in the world. And when the Bible says church, it doesn't usually, in fact, it almost never means some vague group of, of Christians, some amorphous ent- entity out there, just a bunch of Christians getting together or some Christ- all Christians of the world. It almost always means this when it says church, a local body of saints who are washed by the blood of Jesus, given the Holy Spirit, and organized under elders. A local manifestation of the kingdom of God. And you will never have a high view of the gift of elders that God gives to the suffering church until you first have a high view of the church. John Wesley famously said it this way, the Bible knows nothing of a solitary religion. I mean, God has not saved you into a personal relationship with Jesus and then just left you alone. He has also saved you into his church, which is the physical manifestation of the rule and reign of Jesus on the earth. So much so that Paul can say that in the church, God is glorified. And apart from the church, you've got to, where is God glorified? In fact, he says, the angels and demons look on the world and they see the redemptive reign of Jesus. He's putting all things right. Where does he see that? When they look on the church, Jesus and his bride cannot be separated. This is where God is doing his work in the world. In fact, in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus makes the promise to the apostles. He asks them, who am I? And and Peter says, you're the Christ. It's the announcement of the gospel. You're the long-awaited redeemer that God has sent into the world to make things right. And Jesus says to Peter, on that confession, that's the rock that came out of your mouth. That's the confession. The gospel, I'm going to build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against that. My bride, my church, nothing can stop it in the world because the church is the 
organization that Jesus has promised to build and carry with him into glory. That's Peter's message to us. If you belong to the suffering body, it is because I went through suffering for her, and I will carry her into glory. No other organization in this world carries that promise. And it is a profound promise. It is a glorious promise. Nothing will prevail against the church. And then, he says, immediately afterwards, in verse 19 of Matthew chapter 16, he says to the leaders of the church, and I'm giving you the keys to this kingdom, so that what you open on earth by the preaching of the gospel will be opened in heaven, and that when you close on earth will be bound in heaven. And as a result, the elders of the church act as Jesus' servants because they are his representatives to you. If you're going to have a good relationship with Jesus, you must also have a good relationship with his church. And if you're going to have a thriving relationship with Jesus, then his body is essential. And to his body, he is given elders who lead. Our own confession of faith says this. It says of the visible church, the visible church Christ has given to this body, the ministry, the oracles, the ordinance of God for the gathering and perfecting of the saints in this life to the end of the world. And by his own spirit and according to his own promise, Jesus makes them powerful. And then it goes on out of which there's no ordinary possibility of salvation. It's like a Peter in Second Peter says, this is like an ark. That the church is like an ark that's carrying us through the flood waters of suffering into the glory of the new creation. Because we're one with Jesus, who is the ultimate ark who's already passed through judgment and come out alive. And so then Peter says this, verse 1. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed. And so, you know, Peter, Peter is saying, look, no leader in the church is self-qualified. You got to remember who this is coming from. This is coming from Peter. There's no elder in the church who can say who you should say to. You should, when you look at them in the eyes and say, why are you qualified to be an elder? Their shoulders should drop and they should be able to say, I'm not. I'm not, but I, but I have Jesus to bring to you. And he's the redeemer of sinners, and the gospel is the best news that I have. You've got to remember who's saying this. Peter is a failure who has been restored to his office by Jesus. Three times he denied Jesus. He knew what it was like to experience pressure from the world to leave Jesus behind. And he was so weak in his faith that one of those times was a little servant girl who said, don't you belong, aren't you a follower of his? And Peter's like, mm, I don't know who you're talking about. That's not me. He, his knees buckled from the pressure of a little slave girl. 
And I love the sweet way, the tender way that Jesus deals with Peter. He deals with the elephant in the room when he meets Peter face to face again. This is, the, this is what Jesus often does. He doesn't just sweep our sin under the carpet. He brings it to light into the light of his glorious grace and he restores Peter. He goes after the heart of the matter of Peter's failure and he applies his gospel right to it. Peter's greatest failure is where Jesus wants him to experience his great redeeming love. And so he looks Peter in three times for each of those failures. He then restores him. Do you love me? You know I do, Jesus. Then feed my sheep. Do you love me? You know I do, Jesus. Then tend my lambs. Do you love me? You know I do, Jesus. Then feed my sheep. It's as if Jesus is saying, now you're qualified. You know my failure. You know your failure and my redeeming love to the greatest point of your failure. And that is what makes you qualified to tend my sheep. It makes him the best kind of leader in Jesus's church. He knows his failure and he knows the restoring love of Jesus. And he knows the restoring love of Jesus is greater than any of his failures. And you know, as a result, Peter is never, and he never does. If you've got this major theme through Peter's writing, it's this, Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough to get us through the suffering of this world into glory. And you know how he knows that? Because he has been such a great failure. Peter's never going to say, here, let me teach you how to be self-sufficient. Let me give you 10 things to build yourself up. Peter's going to say, oh, my fellow failures, let me tell you about Jesus. And then as a result, verse 3, the elders are to be examples to the flock. We are to regularly told to follow the example of the elders. For instance, the letter to the Hebrew tells us, Remember your leaders in the Lord, those who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Paul says it this way, follow me as I follow Christ. He says it twice. I'm the Example, I'm going to kind of walk before you. I'm going to show you how to deal with your failures and the redeeming love of Jesus. I'm going to show you the sufficiency of his word. I'm going to model repentance for you. The elders should be the chief repenters among us. I'm going to model for you repentance for you. And then I'm going to model obedience to Jesus for you. And so Peter or Paul says to Titus this, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. In your teaching, show integrity, dignity, sound speech that you cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. And Paul also says to Timothy two things. Watch two things closely, your life and your doctrine. If you want to know what it looks like to be a faithful follower of Jesus... Look to your elders who are modeling for you the sufficiency of the grace, the sufficiency of God's word, and the glory of obedience to Jesus. So they're, a, they're an example. But then verse 2, elders 
are to oversee the church in a healthy, as a result, a healthy, dynamic church are under the oversight of the elders. And also a healthy, dynamic Christian is, has submitted themselves to the oversight of the elders. Do you want to know why we think church membership is so important to the Christian life? It is because you are publicly identifying, these men are my elders. And so one of our membership vows is, do you promise to submit to the government and discipline of the church? And we see these two terms are often used for elders in the church, as Peter does, to the elder is an overseer. Paul uses it interchangeably both in Titus 1 um, and also in Acts chapter 20 that the elders are God's stewards. The elders oversee, they have been entrusted to the care of Jesus. And so the elders are appointed by Jesus to serve as representatives to the flock. And as a result, their primary task is to shepherd the flock of God that has been entrusted to their care by exercising oversight. The two are, are so closely matched together that to follow the leadership of the elders is to follow the shepherds that God has placed over you. And shepherd in the original Greek has all of this emphasis. It's, it's the first word actually in the sentence. Um, shepherd the flock of God. This is God's flock. He has bought them with the blood of his own son. He cares so deeply for her that he has bound himself to her. That he, Jesus calls her your bride. And so take care of her as his wife. Get her into glory so she can sit at his wedding feast and enjoy the, the glory that the Savior has bought to him. But they must exercise oversight as shepherds. This is shepherd is where we get our word pastor from. A shepherd is a pastor. Pastor is a term for shepherd. Many of you might call me Pastor Paul or call Adam Pastor Adam, but you should be calling in some sense all of your elders in this way, Pastor Buck and Pastor Thomas and Pastor Mark, because together we have been entrusted with the care of shepherding your souls, of guarding you and protecting you so that as a suffering church, you get to see the glory of Jesus. And as a result, then a healthy sheep has learned to trust their shepherd so that they are easily guided, fed, and comforted. Verse 5 again. We've circled all the way back around. A healthy sheep has learned to trust their shepherd so that they are more easily guided, fed, and comforted. The writer of Hebrews says this, you know, obey your leaders so that it'd be easy for them to lead you. Verse 5, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. And, and Peter is playing on words here of elder and younger. He, he really means elder and everybody else in the church. Likewise, everybody else in the church, you are the younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. One author puts it this way. 
Sheep are always completely dependent on their shepherd. They'll never outgrow their need for the shepherd to care for them, to feed them and lead them and protect them. The shepherd who cares for the newborn lambs is still there when the sheep grow old and weak. That's actually, if you're visiting with us, it is one of the beauties of Zion Church is we have multiple generations. And some of our elders can tell you, I can remember when that person was born and now I've gotten to witness the birth of their own children and we've walked through life together over a long period of time, which then leads us to one of the things that you should look for in the elders that you're entrusting to your care, and it's this, that they know the sheep. John 10, Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. Right? I know my own, my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for my sheep. And that is a profound statement. Think about what Jesus is saying. Just as the Father knows me, the Father from all eternity, knowing intimately God the Son, all the beats of his heart, all the joys and sorrows, the Father knows him in the most profound way. And Jesus says, just as the Father knows me, I know you. The Father who loved the Son, Jesus says, I, I know you and I love you that way. I've been brought into that kind of deep intimacy. But it then also becomes a model. If that's how our shepherd knows us, it's how our elders are ambitiously trying to get to know you, to know your struggles and your trials, to know you where they need to pray and where they need to exhort, where they need to call you to repentance or where they need to apply gospel hope. And here's what you can do. Let them in. Don't struggle alone. Call us up. Send us a text, an email. Grab us when you see it. I am struggling in this way, and I, I am just about to drown under the sufferings of this world, and I can't take it anymore. The more we hide that from the shepherds, the less we will be able to enjoy the shepherding care of Jesus who has entrusted your care into these men's hands. Lastly, receive the word of God from them with all humility. The elders are to feed the sheep on the word of God. One of the qualifications for an elder, in fact, when you look at the qualifications for elders and deacons in the New Testament, there is only one that is different. List them out and as a table and you will see only one that is different for an elder, and it's this, that they are to be apt to teach, able to handle the word of God and apply it to our lives. And therefore, an elder must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that they may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. You see those two things, sound doctrine, 
is healthy. It's hygienic. That's where we get our word hygiene from. That which promotes health. The elders are to be able to take God's word and apply it to your lives. And when it does, God causes it to spring up into new creation life and to take dark things and broken things and dead things spring to life again. And this is what was given to Peter. Feed my flock. Feed them on me. Feed them on my word in ways that go increasingly deeper into your life. Ask these men. Teach me. Ask these men when you're suffering to give you hope from God's word. We were not designed sort of to stir things up by ourselves. Oh gosh, we need each other, especially during these times. And we need men who will feed us thoroughly and faithfully on the truths of the Bible. There's a place for recommendations for health for our bodies and to discuss politics. There's a play, there's good things. And Christians should be engaged in many of those things. Or economics, we should be engaged in all of those things. But the church needs elders who apply the truths of the gospel to the ever-changing circumstances of our lives, first and foremost. Because this is how Jesus shepherds the flock of God entrusted to our care. And so here is one way that you can contribute to a healthy church. Elect good, qualified elders. Sometimes towards the end of the year and the first of this year, we will engage in a yearly practice of electing new elders and also nominating new elders to begin the process of training. You play a role in this. Look for called men who embody these things that we've talked about. But secondly, you can contribute to the health, thriving, flourishing of Christ's church that he is going to carry into glory by being a good follower. Again, Hebrews 17. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. And let them do this with joy and not groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. And you see the writer of Hebrews is making the same point that Peter is making at the end of the passage, to clothe ourselves with humility. Because at times, your elders will ask you to submit to them. As I often say, we, submission is a requirement for things that we might disagree with or not like. I don't have to ask my daughter to submit when I say, let's go get ice cream. But I do have to ask her to submit when it requires doing her schoolwork. And what I'm asking her to do is one extra step at the heart level. Bring your desires under the gracious rule of Jesus and trust me that I'm working for your good. The last thing I want to say to our elders is this. Because when it, it's all, I always feel like sometimes when I preach on elders, I need to like, y'all might not want to stay away today because you're going to leave here going, oh, I'm not up for the task. And again, that's the kind of men that you should look for. 
But my brothers, my fellow pastors in the church, hear this. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Let's pray. Lord, we are yours. You bought us with a price. You're a king. What you say goes. We have no right because we're your slaves, no rights of our own. And so help us to see the upside-down nature of your kingdom, that true freedom is found in following you. Redeem our hearts that we might have your heart that said this. It is my food to do the will of the Father. Teach us the joy of submission. Strengthen my brothers as they lead this flock entrusted to your care. Encourage us in all steps that we might suffer together and enjoy glory together. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.